Hello everybody, and this is a Cane and Rinse special, as we do from time to time, an interview with Ben, is it Clavin or Clavin, I should have asked before. Clavin, it's a weird one. Clavin, Irish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good Irish name. Uh, and yeah, no one knows where it's from. <laughs> all right. And uh, you hail from Pewter Game Studios. Now, to my shame, uh, I'm, a, I'm a great lover of puns, but I had to have that one pointed <laughs> out to me yesterday evening by my colleague Tony. I love it. Now I love it. Yeah. Well, Pewter. we have a, a, our publisher figured it out after about a year, I think, so you were quicker <laughs> than them. It's all right. Beautiful stuff. So, what's the what's the um, history of the of the the studio or you, you the collective that is Pewter Game Studio? Um, yeah, I mean, I went to college first, not knowing what to do, so I did philosophy for four years, which is kind of a strange default, one. That's the default for people who don't know what to do, right? Philosophy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then, out of the kind of wishy washiness of that degree, I ended up being drawn towards logic which then mm-hmm. kind of pushed me towards programming. Because I guess when everything's this big question mark, logic just feels like a safe kind of thing to grab to. So then I did a master's in game design and met Chris, the other guy who kind of started the studio together. Yeah. And then it's just a series of, you know, game jams and yeah, some government support. We got a, an office space as part of like an incubation program. Brilliant. And, and uh, yeah, just kind of got the team together through entering game jams, really. And then eventually managed to get over to GDC in San Francisco and meet with Xbox and PlayStation and kind of get the the little acre on there as well, kind of secure our spot for when it was ready. And that kind of got allowed us to get, you know, it, it was kind of like half hearted until then. And then once we had that, we could get we could get a bit of money together and actually make it happen. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, this is uh, the studio's first title and signed, sealed and delivered and released on three formats all at the same time. Yeah, it's kind of a crazy thing to do with your first game, probably. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was I was going to ask you about that. Uh, normally, I find uh, looking at the releases of independent games from smaller or certainly new studios, um, you'll normally find that they'll lead with maybe the PC, then then one console, then another, or maybe they'll go for a PC and one of the consoles and then port it over later. But you went yeah. all three same day, first game. Was that was that a headache? Was yeah. that a nightmare? Trying to do all the patches and, and all the yeah, various UI yeah. and all that? Yeah, a little bit. And we even had a, a minor, well, felt like a disaster at the time, which, yeah. which turned out to just be kind of fine, where pre-orders on Xbox unlocked a week earlier or something like that on oh. us. And so there was, there was these kind of little crazy things happening as we were doing it. But it, it, we were talking to some other developers, though, who did that typical thing of PC first and then console. And they found that they just didn't make a splash when they said, by the way, it's also on PlayStation. Right, like people right. had stopped caring and they said they kind of wished that they had hit all three at the same time. So okay. we we're kind of building a lot of it off that. You, if you're the little guy, you don't really have that much chance to mm. get people to pay attention. So you're better off doing across all three. That was the advice anyway. And it seems to have worked. We, we've like, we're definitely very happy with consoles and how they're going. So like, we're, I, I feel like we made the right decision. Yeah, yeah. And I think maybe sometimes I noticed that like the critical reception for the game overall is pretty positive, but the the reviews on Xbox are markedly more generous in terms of scores than the PC yeah. version. And I think maybe is that because there's fewer of this kind of thing on the Xbox marketplace or something? Yeah, like that? I think so. I think that was always our ideas. You can't compete directly with the big games companies, obviously, with what you're doing. So you might as well give them something that a, a little bit different. So that was kind of um, explains the art style of the game. It explains going to consoles with an adventure game. You know, uh, like at the time there was 
nothing. And then I think Broken Sword and <clears throat> Ron Gilbert's uh, Thimbleweed Park yeah. as well. So like th- that's pretty much it for adventure games. I mean the Telltale games as well. But mm. there you go. But uh, mm. so I mean it, it to rather than trying to you know hit a big market like mobile or something and make a splash, we decided we'd kind of chop it right down. Yeah. to okay it's going to be a weird art style that no one else is doing because it's a bit crazy and it's mm. going to be on consoles which is a bit weird as well so i don't know i'm pretty happy with how it worked yeah yeah so yeah i played the game yesterday full disclosure listeners uh, i requested having been contacted some months ago by by ben and, and pewter games uh then we decided well i finally got round to contacting you guys uh, just last week and yeah. uh, and it turns out that you'd been inordinately busy unsurprisingly for the reasons we've probably just talked about yeah um, exactly so it's worked out nicely and i requested a code of the game so i could play it in mutually beneficial situation and all that so i played it through yesterday yeah. and uh, i thought it was really really sweet and the 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 first that you mentioned there the art style that is it is striking and i particularly thought the back the backdrops as well, you've you've got this um you know sort of cartoon animation as well but the backdrops especially i thought were especially lovely with the um yeah the sort of children's storybook uh rural island thing going on so what inspired the the sort of visual look of the game the look and feel yeah all those backgrounds is one guy right <laughs> the whole the whole game which is kind of crazy yeah but yeah the um it's so weirdly enough uh, Dublin has uh, like a really strong animation scene that people weren't necessarily aware mm. of. So all those, you know, Sullivan Bluth, that all the, all exactly. those go to heaven and American Tale, all those and films were actually made here. And Broken Sword, yeah. It's so they they needed all these animators because they set up the company here. So they built this college called Ballyfermot, which is kind of the top animation or neck and neck anyway for the top animation stuff in Dublin as a way to just feed animators into Sullivan Bluth and actually. Charles Cecil of Broken Sword, when he came over, he stole one of the lecturers to work on right. Broken Sword because yeah, yeah. the, the lecturer just laughed at his artwork, at what they had at the time. He was like, you need me. So then Charles ah. hired him and stole him from Ballyfermot. But yeah, so there's always been this link with uh, strong animation in Dublin yeah. with the film industry and the game industry. So mm. it was, I mean, it seemed like a, a, an easy option for us to, like I'm, I'm a big fan of that art style as well yeah. and the way Broken Sword did it. But the, there was a, these students were leaving college with, with this amazing traditional animation skill set, but all the jobs were kind of for more traditional rigging to the, you know, tweening animation that you'd see in more like a Cartoon Network type mm-hmm. thing or something like that. So, and it's not as if they were being given particularly creative jobs off the bat because they were students. But for a games company, it was actually really easy to take the best students of each year and say, hey, do you want to work in a video game? Which is cool, first of all. And then second of all, do you want to animate the way that you actually love to animate, which is this flip book style, everything's a drawing frame by frame by frame, which uh, I'm sure they changed their minds towards the end of production. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But at the start, it seemed like a good idea. Yeah, it really took me back to some of... um... Do you remember Core Designs games in the 90s on the Amiga? They did a lot of um, traditional animation, things like Heimdall, the the, the, the Viking uh, game. No, I haven't. Okay, <laughs> these, these, this is going back a long way, but this is when, um, when on the Amiga uh, people were just starting to really experiment with doing kind of, yeah, studio quality animation or, or something approaching it. Um, yeah. And, and this this is very much a compliment, by the way, because it's something I'm, I'm very fond of. Um but the actual the the sort of okay. s- story and the setting of the game 
uh, is genuinely unusual. I went into it not knowing very much, have it other than seeing the promotional art that obviously you know is there on the front end and on the Steam store uh, yeah. on your website. But it's uh, it's quite an unusual setting, both in terms of time period and the protagonists and what yeah. happens and stuff. So whose whose brainchild is is this whole crazy world? Um, that'll be me and Chris, the two guys who kind of started the company. That's we we don't do the art. Work, which is probably why I talk about how nice the artwork is. Right. But uh, we, we do pretty much everything else. So so story writing and game programming and puzzle design and everything else. So then, um, yeah, it was it was inspired by the escapist fantasy films in kind of of that Don Bluth era, but also you know mm. other ones as well, like Never Ending Story and right. um, something like The Page Master as well. So you have this really normal, boring setting that then whisks you away into a fantasy land, and we've always liked that as a storytelling device rather than just having it in a fantasy land. Cause I, I've always liked where it, it felt more fantastic if you started somewhere kind of dull. So the middle of nowhere in Ireland and then setting it in the 1950s had this kind of benefit of the dawn of a new era of technology and right. you know, this kind of where, yeah, it felt like anything was going to be possible in terms of other worlds and things like that. I see. So, see, I didn't realise for quite a while into the game that I, I just thought it was a very quaint, rustic present day. Yeah, you just think that's what Dublin looks like. Or... Yeah, totally. <laughs> really patronising, yeah. Um, yeah, it's no, good. I did say on our Broken... I did say, and it was true, on our Broken Sword podcast that visiting Ireland in Broken Sword was one of the things that made me want to visit Ireland in real life, even <laughs> though it's got that very sort of uh, clichéd sort of uh, take on rural Ireland. But uh, Ah, yeah, but... It's I've been there now, and it's kind of true, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is, yeah. especially out of the West. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, Donegal, exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, Dublin, you've got Facebook, Amazon, and Google, and everyone's here. Yeah. It's a big high-tech city. And then, yeah, drive for two hours in any direction, and you kind of do hit that. <laughs> Yeah, and it is absolutely yeah. it is absolutely stunning as well. Um, yeah. And so uh, Clonfira, which is the the fantasy land that your your characters go to, and and they become uh, I guess in the in the in the Japanese uh, terminology they become super deformed when they go into Clonfira. Yeah. Uh, and uh, is that is that entirely your own creation, or is it based on any uh, particular lore or legend? No, that, that that's just us. We wanted to. I mean, that was the idea all along. It was the name came from actually I don't know if you heard a book called God's Little Acre. It's an Erskine Caldwell book, but it was mm-hmm. it, it was just it's about this guy who goes crazy while his family are kind of impoverished because he thinks he's going to find gold in the back garden and he's digging and he's digging. And there's lots more to it than that. But I was always obsessed with that kind of get rich quick scheme, kind of driving mm-hmm. someone insane and forgetting what was really important. And I think that 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 was the initial idea. So then we wanted him to rather than it being this delusion. We wanted it to be an actual reality that there was this crazy world that he could travel to. And and uh, so how to make those worlds feel different to us, it seemed natural to completely change the, the camera angle and the way the world looks and the way the characters look to kind of emphasize the two different worlds. So to get that moment of walking through the cupboard in Narnia, you know, the, the books mm. there and the difference between those two worlds. And it just seemed like no one had done it. Well, maybe they have done it in games, but we it, we definitely haven't come across it too often where two worlds really feel completely different. And and when we were at the early stages of development, we wanted them to be even crazier in terms of gameplay and everything to change it up. But we kind of reeled it in towards the end when we realized what that would entail, you know? Yeah, hugely ambitious. But no, genuinely, I found the game had a really distinct vibe and atmosphere all of its own. I, I've 
played an awful, an inordinate amount of video games over the last 30 to 40 years. And it's very rare for something to feel genuinely a bit fresh and different. And, and The Little Acre absolutely did. I think it's partly the, uh, the, the aesthetic, but also the... Um, the the slightly unusual character setup, both in terms of the um, who's at home. So you've got a, a grandfather, a father, and a child, and yeah. also the the way they interact and the way that the, um, the 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 little kid who I, I guess how how old is Lily meant to be? Like five. Good question. Four, yeah, five? <laughs> I think I heard five from the artists. So okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and but she's very determined. She's headstrong, creative, um, but she's got this whole uh, dynamic going on with Dougal the dog. Um, yeah. that reminded me of uh, the sort of baby Herman and Roger Rabbit thing, or or Buttons and Mindy from Animaniacs. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, that's exactly who we were going for. Okay. The long suffering companion. Yeah, uh, it's very very sweet, and uh, and I saw from the credits that Dougal was based on a real a real mutt. Yeah, so no longer with us. That's it. Yeah, family mm. dog. Aww. And he, he it, unlike that one, he was more of a walking idiot, named after Father Dougal from the Father Ted series. <laughs> Not quite the same character, but uh, yeah, I yeah. Love Father Ted was the other thing that, of course, made me want to visit Ireland. Uh, sad as it is, but there you go. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and uh, yeah. and so what? What? what it's like, you know, how do you come up with your ideas? So kind of open, <laughs> stupid question. But but what, no, was no, the, yeah. what was the thinking behind the, the this sort of particular set of characters? Yeah, I mean, Aiden was probably the least developed, the main kind of well, not the, you know, you kind of share between Lily and Aiden, the daughter and the dad, but yeah. he was more so. He like you could even see it in in his stance in earlier versions of the game. He was very much George Stobart kind of inspired. This right. kind of guy who just kind of takes things in his stride and walks through, kind of like the player would do in that case. But he he ended up getting a bit more personality towards the end when the voice acting came in and yeah. things like that. But Lily was always very strong because my my sister is the main character designer and and she did a lot yeah. of the animation, and so she was very adamant about Lily's design. And how, you know, uh, she has to have fairy wings and a sword. You know, that would be Kate, the animator. She'd have these kind of opinions of what Lily would always be be yeah. like. And and even at the start with the, the opening puzzle with the sandwich and there's mm. fish and marmalade in the sandwich. And that was inspired by what Kate did in real life to my dad. So she thought she was making him lunch, you know, and it would be yeah. this lovely treat she did. And it was just like horrible chocolate bars with marmalade and lettuce and just what everything she thought yeah. would be nice in a sandwich. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of it came from my relationship with my sister as well, I think, just the kind of dynamic there. Sure. Of this crazy girl. <laughs> yeah, I kind of got then, that vibe, uh, and I, I noticed there were some, yeah, some shared names on the credits, and so I, I assumed yeah. it must have been a family affair, which is really nice. Yeah, that's it. And yeah, so you've mentioned Charles Cecil, you've mentioned George Stobart. So this com- our first conversation on Twitter came about after we did uh, we covered Broken Sword, the sh- first game, Shadow of the Templars, in in our Cane and Rinse style, in issue two hundred and forty three. Listeners, if you want to go back and check that one out. Um, so ha, were you already fans of Broken Sword when Charles Cecil got involved or, and how did that come to pass? Yeah. So definitely huge fans beforehand anyway. And, yeah. uh, so myself and Chris have a completely different gaming background, even though we, we kind of were obviously drawn to each other in college and making games, but the, uh, he was a Sony and a Sega kid and I was a right. Nintendo kid and, uh, <laughs> Then he was a Xbox. So basically we had 
almost all gaming history between us and yet had hardly played a game in common. Really? So I missed okay. fin- I missed Final Fantasy 7 and he missed Zelda. You know what I mean? Right. Like it was this perfect going through history together playing every game but not the same except for Broken Sword. Right. So that was one that we both came together because we we enjoy fighting over games as well. So uh that was really the one that we were just kind of like ah yeah, no that was great and he'd agree and we'd talk about that a lot. So then that was definitely a big inspiration. So in a funny way, like Charles only came on board towards the end of the project, but so he always kind of downplays how much impact he did actually have right. on it overall. Okay. But really, his body of work had the biggest impact on it already before he was even involved, you know? So it was uh, heavily inspired by just that style, art style, but also, yeah. yeah, wanting to make an adventure game of our own. But then it was quite a bit later on. So we were with Curve and the publisher, they, you know, they would have started off as a kind of a console porter for indie games, things like mm-hmm. Thomas Was Alone, Dear Esther, things like that. But uh, they, they got into their own stuff in the last few years and they had contacts with Charles. So we were just more so, you know, could you please get Charles to play it and we get some feedback and something yeah, like that. Sure. And, and then uh, he decided to come on board and it, it really was quite towards the end. So his input was much more to do with um, actually the very opening of the game, the opening animation, that was his in terms of you need to set up something more about the kind of the potential fantasy element of the game mm. and uh and then just so do you mean the the house on on the actual title screen where you see the the kind of oh, the... oh no sorry the uh the, the the literal opening of the game with the oh, okay. um the crystal and the yeah, right. characters sure, sure. <laughs> although he helped with the menu as well because we had this re- really nice farm theme playing mm. during the menu of the game and our idea was to make it completely mundane at the start you know like you might even notice when you're playing it's like oh you're just making breakfast or you're getting water from yeah, the pump yeah. you know it's it's meant to be this uh quiet in order to seem big when it gets crazy mm-hmm. but i think we went too far because our you know our faces were right up against the screen we couldn't see it as a as a full story and charles kind of came in and was like you need to add something to your menu that just kind of lets players know that there's something more going on so that yeah that explosion that comes behind the house and the music being a bit more dramatic that's that's Charles just letting us know to kind of you need to wink at the audience a little bit or they will think it is just this like happy farm similarity (laughs) yeah exactly yeah yeah mind you Stardew Valley's done all right so who knows maybe that's just what people want a point and click adventure that is pure domestic uh, bliss um (laughs) was that was that the greatest bit of advice he gave you did he mention a goat at all at any stage in uh, (laughs) in the conversations I I did and then I regretted it (laughs) (laughs) oh man no no it's fine it's fine but uh, yeah, no, otherwise he was pretty clear. I mean, there was one or two things he kind of cleaned up. He was just like, yeah, make sure that's just a bit more obvious or the positioning mm-hmm. of that or whatever. But uh, I'd say the biggest is just, yeah, storytelling and and then helping with uh, when you're stuck inside the project, you know, it's hard to see it with that outside perspective. So sometimes then it's hard to sell that to someone else, you know? Mm-hmm. So then to have Charles tell you what's good about it and what you should be telling other people about it. That was really useful as well. But then, mm. again, that's just what he came on and did, but his whole body of work kind of inspired the whole thing anyway. Right, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so there's no there's no connection to be made with the fact that your, your main antagonist uh, has slightly goat-like <laughs> qualities. <laughs> no, actually, I haven't even thought about that. <laughs> what, what, what's the deal with Mare? Um, I, I genuinely found him a bit disturbing. Yeah, it was um, so. The, I, I hope we don't get sued for this one, but I doubt it. <laughs> so nah, Tom Waits, 
<laughs> Tom Waits was a huge influence on that. There's a great okay. video. I think it's called uh, Chocolate Jesus, where he's performing live on one of the shows in America. And it's it's him prancing around on stage with this pixie dust. And you'll notice all his movements are very much like Mayer. I mean, it's not a total thing, but if you think mm-hmm. Tom Waits and then take a look at Mayer, he might make a bit more sense in, in how he moves right. and, and the kind of flamboyant, but with an edge. There's something there. And uh, yeah, that was definitely. And then, then it was just a long design process. And I think, yeah. Um, his voice was a, a tick that Chris wrote in actually. So he elongates the first uh, syllable of every single sentence, and yeah, I, it, it was just kind of a weird thing to give him. To yeah, you should feel a little unsettled by him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's like an odd. He's got an odd color scheme, and you're never quite sure of his motivations. I don't want to spoil the game because hopefully people will listen to this and want to play it, but. Um, but his motivations are not straightforward necessarily. No. Um, and, and that's interesting in itself. Talking about the, the voice acting, um, obviously you could, there are a number of routes you could have gone down for this. Uh, you yeah. could have left it all purely text. The text is there. You could have risked some of your budget on a professional voice cast, but you did perhaps, I think, what in some ways is the riskiest thing, which is kind of doing it in-house. Is that right? Um, uh, most of it yeah mostly but i actually think it really paid off um genuinely uh like it was it was st- i watched the credits before i played the game so i realized oh, okay. that some of the names were shared the yeah. development team and the and the voice cast so i was thinking uh oh this doesn't always this doesn't always bode well i'm thinking back to yeah. thinking back to the days when this was how it was normally done even with triple a games studios like rare would yeah. get you know people to voice their characters and it was always a really mixed bag but here i just thought it came across as um you know very genuine and very very sweet um so was it ever a debate that you had as to whether to go down that path or to to pursue one of the other options yeah, and with Lily, I, again, when I was listing my sister's jobs yeah. that she did, she's she's the voice of Lily as yes. well. So I, le- yeah. I left that one out because she just does everything. And she's just one of these people that I guess she knew the character inside and out. She had already designed them. She had already given most of the motivation of the character. So it just made a lot of sense for her to do it. But sometimes it can make sense. And then they're in the recording booth and they are reading all their lines like this. Mm, and, uh, that's you know, what I do. But, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but somehow she had this ability to emote. And yeah. she's just one of these annoyingly talented people, I guess. Mm. You know, and uh, so she, there's, there was moments in there where we were genuinely kind of like, you know, getting emotional at the way she was delivering some of these lines. And, and we've told her and other people were telling her that you need to probably get into doing this a bit more because you obviously have a knack for it, but she's not particularly interested. I don't think at the moment, but, um, yeah, that just sort of, yeah, happened and it would be stupid to not get anyone else once we kind of heard her grasp of the character. And then, uh, Aiden was a guy, so he's like a friend, but it was more of a, he's, he's a, one of these YouTube personalities, you know, his name is, uh, Brian, but it's the terrorizer. You know, he's he'd be at something right. like two two million subscribers on YouTube okay. or something like that. Yeah. He's 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 big enough. So he um yeah he came in on as the voice of Aiden, and that took a, a little while longer just to. I don't think he would have played the kind of adventure games and how their kind of intonation is important for not giving too much away or whatever. Right. But um, he, we got there definitely, and and having him, you know, from Dublin, living with friends of you know. It was pretty easy. And then obviously he would have helped with promotion a lot. I mean, we went to PAX South and there was queues. We got in trouble from PAX because there was so much attention at our booth. It was blocking 
every other booth in the whole oh, aisle okay. because Brian, as we know him, or Terrorizer, was <laughs> uh, just was there. So people were getting him, you know, signed body parts and crying just to meet him and things like that. So it, it served as a yeah, it's it's bizarre. That was a real eye opener to me of like, oh, there's a whole new level of celebrity that I don't quite understand. <laughs> yeah, I, and I, I just um, I enjoyed playing uh, the second game in in recent times with Irish accents in as well because it's not an accent that's been over represented in games over the years. Certainly not authentically. Um, no, exactly. And, yeah, uh, we've had Neo just the last couple of months, which has an Irish yeah. protagonist, which is really cool. Um, yeah, especially yeah. in that setting and yeah to play another game with irish accents I, I, there is something about the irish accent to my english ear my south south of england ears anyway that does seem to make almost anything more pleasant um, <laughs> yeah I, I don't know what that is it it just it, it has got a, a a sort of um a warmness to it a warmth to yeah. it that's um, probably when ea and everyone set up here we were just on a call service work it's our calming tone of voice, <laughs> yeah. you know. <laughs> yes, Have yeah. Have you tried um, turning it on and off? Yeah, again? that's right. That's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know it so well. Yeah, same with. Um, it's also in uh, in uh, the northeast, in uh, uh, near Sunderland, uh, Doxford, and Durham, places like that. That's the other. That's yeah. the other place they go for. Um, <laughs> yeah. Also on on advertising, I know that uh, like the Yorkshire accents are often picked as as being very reassuring and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's odd. It's odd how that comes about. But um, but obviously there was no other there was no other option for this game because you'd always you decided to set it where you set it and it was yeah. you know. It's apart from the the whole magical fantasy land stuff. It's semi autobiographical. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, had to be Irish. Yeah. So and people uh, worry about that. Sorry, I was just going to have a little yeah. rant there, but no. people do worry that if you you know you don't put an American in, that mm. you might not stand out. But I've actually found the opposite is true. It was yeah. when we we went to a Microsoft event in Seattle, and the fact that it was Irish voice acting got us way more attention than rather than trying to kind of fit in with the American mm. market. You know, so that advice isn't always right. That's very cool to hear. And I noticed on the, the Steam reviews, which is um, possibly where the, the praise is uh, at its strongest for The Little Acre. Um, yeah, your sister in particular gets singled out for, for plaudits for, for the voice yeah. acting, which is, which is excellent. Um, the one thing that does come up uh, as the kind of the, the, the criticism, the most common criticism of the game is yeah. its length. Um, yeah. So I was wondering, did you set out to make a short game or did it, was that just, was that, is that based on resources and development times and things like that? Or did it yeah, end yeah. up being shorter than you had intended or, or how do you feel about that reception? It's, um, we, it, it was meant to be short, definitely. You know, there was no point making a, an epic for our first game, I felt like. And, and there was a lot of games like Firewatch and Gone Home and all these kind of games that we, we were playing that were just... yeah nice enough you know we wanted it to be this weekend experience, basically and uh so we thought that was fine but the the, the i guess the i mean obviously there are constraints when you're trying to wrap something up but i, I think what we struggled with was getting a mean or an average playtime from people detesting right. people so it, with puzzles i know they're not that complicated but it's it's the the, the difference in uh playtime is just crazy so yeah we yeah. we obviously I could speed the run speed run the game in under an hour. I think it's like 40 something minutes, yeah, but I can also, yeah, yeah. Under an hour, there's an achievement. I, yeah. I, I can do it in something like 47 minutes or something. But mm. at the same time, looking up, say, you know, broken uh, age 
and that's all, you know the best run times there are around forty something minutes. And I was yeah, like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's probably we're, we're in the right spot there. But and then it just it never really. And then as soon as we released, I saw people finishing it in an hour, mm. and I was just like, oh okay, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they I might have been hammering the hints, uh, I guess. But. Yeah, I think so. Which is which some of them definitely have been because I saw that in playthroughs. Just you know, yeah. someone would use the hints every single time, and then complain that it was short. And I, I think that's probably a, you know adventure games in a modern setting yeah. just yeah. kind of not necessarily working anymore. That that you need. The, we have a hint system inside the game, kind of. In- Inspired by Broken Sword, yeah, uh, that they had this three the three points edition. hint system. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you, you you get a vague, and then a better clue, and then a solution. Yeah, and uh, there's achievements for not doing it or doing it, and things like that. I but, got that one. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I think um, the reason for having them in the game was to stop people opening up their phone or bring going to a browser to basically cheat yeah. and figure out what to do. Um, but then the I guess the downside then is that people just they still use it as a crutch. So rather, rather, once you use a hint once, you're probably going to go to it, you know, in half the time you would have given it the last time. Mm. So I felt like people do rush through it, but <laughs> but it is short. I would have liked to make it longer. But yeah, at the same time, we were sitting there saying, if the worst problem with our game is that they didn't get enough of it, yeah, we can, we can fix that. I completely agree. I'll give you my honest feedback, both both to you as a developer and to our listeners, um, as in in a sort of buyer's guide. My my opinion of it is obviously I didn't pay for it, so that's 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 something yeah. up front that might have a bearing. But my you know I know what the price is, and my opinion is it's about the length of a movie for about the price of a movie ticket. So I don't think it's you know I don't think it's overpriced for the length that it is. It took me yeah. about an hour and a half to an hour and three quarters, something like that. Um, and I didn't yeah. use I didn't use any hints. Um, I guess I was just I'm not oh, I'm sometimes tremendously obtuse with games like this, but um, I just felt that that I sort of clicked with the with the with your thinking with the methodology. But I was thinking yeah. all the way through as as all, always with these games and and. I go back to the days of text adventures where in the you know the early eighties where actually the puzzle solving was really working out what the what the computer would understand if you put it in so now obviously you've completely rightly used the modern interface which is pure context sensitivity there's not even a grid of verbs or anything like that it's just click on the item but actually that takes like when i used to play the the first round of of uh, lucas arts adventures like maniac mansion and and uh zach mccracken and things like that indiana jones and the uh last crusade it was still, although it was a, a a step on from text adventures in that you didn't have to work out the parser, you still had combine item with verb, combine item with other item with verb, yeah. and all that sort of thing. Whereas the modern point and click adventures have become streamlined to the point where all that's gone. So obviously it speeds up the process of playing them, but it must also yeah. make designing the puzzles in some ways more challenging because... You are just if if you literally give people three or four things to click on, and you only ever yeah. let them have two or three items at a time. There's only a very a relatively small amount of combinations of items. So how do you go about designing that and getting that sweet spot? Yeah, it's challenging to make them more challenging. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's I don't know. I mean, our philosophy with them was to try and hit that kind of Nintendo sweet spot that they hit mm. so often, which is I'm stuck. Oh wait, I'm not. I'm entire genius. You know, and yeah. uh, that that was kind of the and to keep the flow 
going at all times and made to be finished. That was definitely our idea yeah. with the game. Like it shouldn't have to go away and come back, you know, a week later. But the um, it's yeah, it and it, it it is hard. I don't know really. Like I'd love to pretend I have some grand theory of puzzle design and these things, but you just learn from watching and thinking maybe this is a good idea. And but then even when you watch people take fifteen minutes and someone will take it's it's a really yeah, it's a strange art form. And I think we're just learning as as we're going uh, the best way to kind of challenge people in that respect was it always going to be the first genre you tackled a point and clicker type thing yeah definitely so like we we both be adventure game fans but we do play a lot of other things but it's it just felt like as a programming task because without you know turns out a philosophy degree isn't great for computer programming you know i had to do a lot of self-teaching <laughs> stuff and well and you. uh yeah but uh <laughs> trying to get everything done it just seemed like an adventure game would be the e like air quotes easiest game yeah, to yeah. kind of create you know i didn't have to build like a physics system or something like that or an elaborate combat right. breaker you know something like that so um so yeah we definitely and also our strengths seem to whenever we came to design a section it was always where's the story going you know so adventure mm. games obviously lend itself well to a storytelling type game yeah so how long was the gestation from the, the very beginning of the little acre to release which was last November, yeah, December, 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 yeah, mm. uh, years. So, I mean, it, it was actually a failed college project first. Okay. So myself and Chris tried to make it with no artists, if you can imagine what that came. Ah, okay. So what were you going to, what like. kind of look were you going to go for? <laughs> so it was, it was bad. <laughs> That's all I could describe it <laughs> Stick as. figures? Just bad. Yeah, oh, I okay. don't know anything we could get. And uh, it, it was... It was pretty bad. So then we completely scrapped that and then got our skill set together in the art team through game jams and, you know, just releasing tiny things, not for sale or anything, just finishing projects. So technically, you know, it probably is like four years or more. But I feel like, you know, if you had to boil it down to actually you're a team making the game, probably about two. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the idea has been around for a while. Yeah, you might be interested. You may or may not be interested, but we we have a podcast uh, coming up very soon, which is um, uh, all about They Breathe, which is uh, an independently developed game, which started as a college or a university project by a Swedish development team called The Working Parts, and we actually have those guys on the show when we when we do our normal dissection of their game, which is interesting. So, cool. Yeah, uh, yeah, might be worth checking out. Um, yeah. Now, I know you can't always, I know even as an, uh, an independent studio, you can't always reveal things, but can we expect to see any more of Aiden, Lily and Dougal in the future? <laughs> um, not straight away, but okay. there's, there's, it won't be our next project, basically, but there's definitely, yeah, we know what we'd do if we, if we uh, came back to it. We, we had a, a talk about it, and I actually wrote up a quick outline of, like, we, the character's have come to a stage where they kind of write themselves, which is a nice feeling. So it is yeah. tempting to go back to it. But I think we're just going to push ourselves in a slightly different direction next time, just to kind of, you know, what else can we do with this team? Uh, the art style is something we're obviously going to stick with because yeah. it's it's our calling card now. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we're just going to see gameplay-wise what where else we can go with it first. But there is, there is a plan eventually, but uh, definitely not in the next few years. Right. And uh, so maybe we can expect um, sort of uh, telltale style uh, consequences in decisions and things like that. Are you, yeah, would you consider definitely. going down that route? Yeah, yeah. And even pushing even further away from adventure games, I'd say. 
but mm-hmm. but keeping that emphasis on story and and puzzles but you know not necessarily in the traditional adventure style yeah yeah i always i i personally i i like there to be some puzzles in there because although telltale obviously do their thing and they do it very well i feel like they've maybe gone slightly too far away from actually you know sometimes i do want to get a thing and combine it with a thing and put it on a thing to yeah. make a thing happen <laughs> yeah and and feel smart whereas yeah. yeah that can they can feel a bit inevitable i guess yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure so, um, yeah, in closing then, uh, obviously I've said my thoughts. I, I do recommend people check out The Little Acre. But uh, with our listeners covering multiple platforms, you can get um, The Little Acre on PS4, Xbox One and PC. What, what would your uh, your sort of pitch to our listeners who haven't tried this out be? Um, it's a weekend platinum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, nice. You're definitely appealing to some of our core demographic there. How many yeah, achievement got- points on Xbox One? Is it 1,000? Yeah. let's just say that for a short game not too bad but uh no it's (laughs) the best version of people playing this is with someone else so adventure even though they can seem like these single player experiences i think it's at its best when people are together and arguing over what you should do next or someone thinks they should do something and enjoying it together like a film like you said that's kind of my preferred way to see people play it i guess because it does it's a yeah there's a big emphasis on story and the word charm and sweet kind of come up a lot when they talk yeah. about it but um, nothing wrong with that either by yeah the way. exactly yeah so i think it, do, it does suit itself to this kind of getting together and playing it even though it is the, yeah puzzles and things like that but otherwise then it is if you're just a fan of that escapist fantasy type stories you know the, the never-ending story labyrinth page master all these other things that you know escape into another world Beautiful. With some Don Bluth animation on top of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Can't stress that enough. Um, yeah, so when might you be announcing your what your next project is? Is that is that on the cards? Uh, it's going to be a while. So, we, we, yeah, probably at the end of the summer or something like that. We have to okay. – we're, we're figuring out a lot of different things at the moment. Um, but there will be more platforms for the little Laker coming up okay. in the next few months as well. Yeah, oh, yeah. going to cool. experiment. <laughs> yeah. All right. And I suppose um, it's, I mean, I guess you haven't done any deals, but it's not inconceivable that it might turn up in bundles or on Yeah, uh, eventually. You don't want to rush into them. But, no, oh, sure. yeah, the, yeah, but there's, yeah, there's going to be, and in fact, next month, um, there's, it's going to be in sale on Xbox as part of, it's something like stories, or like the, the, the theme of the sale okay. is based on, you know, adventures and story games and something like that. So you can definitely pick it up then. Oh, very appealing. Uh, should right. I be telling people to pick it up discounted? I don't know, whatever. <laughs> you you won't be able to play it at the end of the day. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And uh, I should say, full disclosure on my part, which you gave yeah. at the start, is I'm I'm a big fan of the Kane and Rains podcast. Oh, and uh, I've been so. I I don't I don't play along, but I listen to every no, episode sure. of a game I've played. <laughs> if that makes oh, sense, okay. so I've listened to hundreds, you know probably fifty of them or something. <laughs> All right. Just well, yeah. Whenever I spot a game I play, I love to jump in and listen to what you have to say about it. Oh well, thanks for listening. Uh, yes, we've got plenty more where that came from. Um, yeah, perhaps we'll have you on someday as a as a guest panelist on something that you're particularly passionate about and that you've finished and want to talk about. Yeah, that'd be great. If you'd enjoy that. All right. So uh, yeah, just remains for me, Leon, to thank Ben, and uh, we'll see you next time on Kane and Rinse. <laughs>